big believer that everything that happens in our life is a result of the way that we've been um, feeling and expressing ourselves. And um, and then if people were really honest with themselves, they would they would think about that and go, you know what? Yes, because my mindset's been that you know I've I've felt lousy. I've not been honoring myself. I've not been valuing myself. Welcome to the Effortless Swimming Podcast, the show that helps swimmers and triathletes love the water, become a better swimmer, and live a better life. Here's your host, Brenton Ford. Welcome to the Effortless Swimming Podcast. This is episode number 185, and my guest is two-time Commonwealth Game and uh, Olympian, uh, Julie McDonald. So, Julie, welcome. Thank you so much. So um, we were just talking about the uh, the trials going on at the moment. There's a lot of really exciting swimming um, happening. And uh, my guess is you've been watching it pretty closely with your background in, in competitive swimming. And um, what have you noticed uh, in the last week or so that they've been competing? What stood out to you? It's, it's really interesting, I guess, Brenton. Um, for me, uh, the exciting bit is that a lot of the people that I swam with have got kids that are swimming at, yeah. at the trials, which kind of makes you feel old, but... Um, you know, it's exciting to see, you know, their careers uh, taking off and, and um, how they're responding to it. The biggest thing with the, the Olympics, it doesn't matter, you know, who you are. It's the everyone in the back of their mind has that this is a once every four year event. And obviously with uh, what happened last year, you know, it's um, once every five years, but uh, that added more pressure for some. So those athletes that were looking at retiring, uh, you know, I think it put a they could have looked at it two ways. They could have looked at it that they're, um, they've got another 12 months. They've got another 12 months to get work behind them. And, um, you know, obviously it was difficult for some that uh, Victorians, obviously uh, the majority, um, but they could look at it that gave them more opportunity to get better or that they went into that mental mindset of, you know, oh, I was about to give up. And, you know, you know, the initial shoulders drop and then it's like, can I do another 12 months? And so it's interesting to see these athletes that are winning now and seeing that, you know, some of them have had, you know, an injury last year. So they had a bit of time off. And so they're a bit fresher. So they've come back better than ever. You see other athletes that were younger that got that extra 12 months and used it to their best advantage and went, right, you know, I've got another 12 months trained for these Olympics. Let's go. So for me, it's been interesting to see who has been excelling and who hasn't been. Yeah. It's, um, I mean, you look at someone like Kyle Jarmers, who he had his sole, uh, shoulder up six months ago. Um, and so for him, it's worked well. And I think they were saying Cam McAvoy as well. He, um, he sort of looked at it and went, oh, yeah, I might get in and train for, um, come, have a comeback and just get in the gym more and bulk up. And he's made the, uh, the four by one team. So it's, um, it's worked very well for, um, for some swimmers. And it, like the times that they're doing, uh, so impressive. So um, I remember thinking last year about like time out of the water with the lockdown and everything, like how will this actually affect people? And um, hasn't really it's probably done wonders for them uh, by yeah, the look of it. I think it has, you know, you look at how many world records have been broken and, or, you know, so close to world records and it's been exciting, you know, and I think that doesn't matter, you know, what went on last year, every Olympic trials is, uh, there's always going to be those triumphs. There's always going to be those narrow misses, you know, and, you know, the way we were trained was that, you had you either came first or second under that qualifying time or you know it didn't matter and I, I noticed a post on Facebook today of a guy who 
who used to be a journo who's now an athletics coach and he posted up you know about somebody that just missed out and and I just said you know that that happens with so many you know it's mm. you've got to be prepared that it's one two on the wall under the qualifying time guaranteed to go and that's why it's exciting it's it's you know you could you could miss out by 0.01 of a second and um and I think it was the turn of breaststroke. I can't remember the swimmer's name, but he came in second. Um, just yes, and you just the look on his face. <laughs> oh, the, the that poor was what guy that you felt about. Yeah, it's yeah. like, and I feel for him because his grandma passed away last year, right? And I and I feel for that because I that was me in 1990 Commonwealth Games um, before you were born, right? Um, <laughs> oh, oh, sorry. Come on, give me oh, some. Okay, right. Yeah. Okay. I've got some um, wrinkles here. <laughs> Um, so, you know, my granddad, my biggest fan, um, passed away a few months before the, the Commonwealth Games. And, uh, you know, I, I know what that's like. You, it's in the back of your mind and, and you want to do the best for them. And, um, and, and so, yeah, I felt for him for that. But, you know, you look at his times and the last couple of years, he's sort of been getting a bit slower. He hasn't hit those times that he did at the World Champs and, um, in 2017. And you sort of think, well... So for me, I, I was sort of, I guess I think the selectors, you know, they're either thinking we've only got so many spots on the team. Obviously, if everybody qualifies automatically, that leaves less spots for those who are borderline. Um, they're not known for their leniency. They're not known for their generosity, these selectors, you know, um, or compassion. Uh, so they're, they're, they've got a job to do and the athletes have got to make it easier for themselves by just knowing they're going to do that time, you know, and, and being prepared and, you know, everyone's going to have their good and bad days, but yeah, I did, I did feel for him. Yeah. Yeah. It's hard not to, um, to feel for him, but look, it's, um, that's what it's all about. And I mean, you come, so Laurie Lawrence, um, being your coach, I mean, I imagine you've got that, that mindset of, it's all about the stuff to silver you know it's it's all about the gold um is is that something that you feel like you had uh in the early days of your swimming or is that something that you had to take on board with the coaching of laurie and just having that repeated and uh you eventually embodied that sort of mindset yeah i think it would be interesting to chat with my mum and see if i was really competitive when i first you know was younger you know i um my, some of my memories of my brothers and sister, my brother and sister riding our bikes around the house. I've got a feeling that you know I was I pretty much wanted to win, uh, and I think swimming. I just found the sport that I that was good for me. You know, um, when I was younger, I wanted to be a jockey. You know, because we lived on acreage and we had horses in the backyard. And when I was ten, my dad, you know, said, "Sweetheart, you're too big to be a jockey." Um, cried I cried for two days and and then I said you can swim you know <laughs> oh, okay um so for me that was I think bred into us you know from a very early age I learned to swim with Laurie I, I really only had a year or two away from him uh because of the transition from a 50 meter pool outdoor to when Chandler was being built and you know, I think that we had that culture in our squad that you did whatever it took to win and that we were going to do extra and that, you know, uh, we didn't want to leave any stone unturned. And I remember training for Barcelona. Uh, we were training down at Palm Beach, Corumban Pool, outdoors, and it was 12 months to the Olympics and Laurie said, we're training at midnight. 
because we'll be the first athletes training with 12 months to go. So we rocked up at the pool at midnight <laughs> and did two hours training and then went home and went back to bed. You know, like we would do, he would do crazy <laughs> stuff like that, you know, and um, it, but it made it fun, you know, that it was, we worked hard, but we also really tried to enjoy ourselves by doing it by, and pushing each other. And so I think that culture was definitely bred into us. Um, we always had that goal in mind of, of the Olympic gold. It's what everybody that, you know, is, has some kind of competitive nature in them, it goes for. And, you know, I think that when you get there, when you, when you make that Olympic team the first time, I think you just, there's a bit of relief. And then there's that, right, now we've got, now our job starts again. And that's, you know, we were talking before about the Olympic trials being so close to the Olympics. And I was saying that that may not have worked for me because the way that we trained and, and, you know, maybe we would have had to change the way we trained, but when we trained, it was, we trained for nationals in February. Uh, that was when we made the teams. And then we got back in and we started that preparation again for the Olympics or Commonwealth games. And we had, you know, five or six months to do that again. So it was sort of, you're preparing for two meets a year. So I think um, it would have been interesting to see how we went. Um, I know that, you know, sometimes it works for athletes, sometimes it doesn't. It didn't work that well for Janet Evans in 1987 for the Pampax. Uh, she broke the world record two weeks before Pampax, came to Australia uh, and then had the Pan Pacific Championships uh, two weeks later and, you know, swam 10, ten seconds slower than her world record, which was great for me because I won the race. Um, <laughs> but it would have been good, you know, if we had have been head or head, head to head, because you know I missed her world record by 0.7 of a second. So <laughs> you know it's interesting to see. I think it suits some athletes and not others. Yeah, yeah, and I mean um, uh, for you in that first that first Olympics, uh, how old were you in the first Olympics? You weren't. You're quite young, <clears throat> were you? Eighteen. How- 18. There you go. Were, were you nervous going in? Did you feel like you were quite young um, and perhaps in, inexperienced then? Or, um, you know, where was, your, where was your head at going into that first one? I think Laurie really trained our mindset to, to be ready. And I'd had a tummy bug leading into the Olympics where um, I, I was, my training was affected a bit. And I just remember like we all, all gathered at the Commonwealth, at the um, Canberra Institute of Sport for a farewell dinner. And I remember getting up at about one or two o'clock in the morning with vomiting and diarrhea. And uh, one of my teammates heard me and called the doctor and they had to give me an injection to stop me vomiting. And I remember the next morning we all got up and got in our outfits ready to get on the plane to go to Seoul. And I was like Moses. I parted the sea of people <laughs> they word had got around <laughs> really sick um and you know and it was i i've got photos of when i rock up at seoul airport and i am just white i'm white as a ghost and i thank goodness we didn't have social media back then because if i'd have been taking selfies of myself i'd have gone gee i look like rubbish you know <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> totally but we just it was interesting i don't think i was nervous but I remember walking in the gates of the Olympic Village uh, beside Grant Kenny, actually, and I remember feeling that instant relief that we're here 
and we've made it, you know, and I think that was, I think my, my tummy bug was probably pressure, right? Pressure that I was putting on myself because of the expectations that we had that, you know, that, that go along with being involved with Laurie's squad was that we're there to win. And, you know, and, and as an 18 year old, it's yeah, a bit daunting, you know, going to the Olympic games and, but it was just, I think that moment walking in those gates, it was, I, I'm here and the relief. And then the, I felt like the pressure was a bit off then. And then I had six days to prepare before, you know, lining up behind the blocks. And uh, you had quite a few squad mates there, didn't you, in that first Olympics that were, that made the team? Yeah, uh, we did four or five. Yeah. And that, uh, I mean, I imagine that would have helped as well, like feeling, now you're uh, in similar or familiar surroundings a little bit with familiar people um, and, and having Laurie there as, as well. Um, it must have been a, um, a, a, like a, and I think what we're seeing now at the moment too, seeing Dean Boxall with the, that sort of very similar <laughs> personality to, um, yep. to Laurie. It's just, um, it feels as though that kind of personality just instills some kind of, um, uh, you know, some kind of positivity and, you know, we can do this where, and, and it's, you were seeing that play out at the moment. Um, is that sort of what you, what you felt and, and instilling that kind of mindset that you mentioned, is that something, um, was that from a combination of hard work and the, the words and the way he would say it? like, where, what sort of made, made all of that um, come together? Yeah. Funny you say that I was, uh, you know, watching a um, couple of the races the other day and, uh, you know, when Dean was going off and I went, oh, my goodness, here's our next lorry. <laughs> like it was just the same whipping, you know, along the side of the pool and I was like, oh, yeah, that's funny. Um, I guess, yeah, it's a combination. Of, you know, we'd done the work. We were doing 80 to 100 Ks a week, well, I was uh, for my event, um, 80 to 100 Ks a week uh, as well as land work. Um, the mindset, you know, Laurie would always play games with us mentally, you know, he would, uh, you know, instill that belief and, and, you know, gear us up, you know, he would pretend that he was on the phone to Janet Evans as coach and, uh, and, you know, he would, you know, go, he goes, oh, he goes, Julie, I'm talking to Janet Evans as coach, you know, and, and she's doing, you know, 2800s and then I'd run bullshit, Laurie, <laughs> like, <laughs> you know, um, but it was fun, you know, and so that yeah. when we get to the Olympics, we all know we're there for a job and we all know what job we've got to do. And it's about, and I, and I was just thinking about it the other day, you know, um, I remember we did a lot of walking before we went to Seoul because Laurie knew that there was going to be, we, that was going to be the only way we we're going to get from the village to the pool was walking distance. So, you know, we swim, walking a couple of Ks a day. So let's get familiar with that. So there was a lot of preparation with things like that. He would do a lot of research around that. And I remember when we got to the Olympic village, uh, a couple of the athletes went into the, uh, into Itaewon and, um, one of the boys bought me a bike, right? And um, a, a $5 bike and that I could ride. And I was like, wow, that's really awesome. Thanks so much. So I was able to ride from the, and I don't remember having the conversation with him. He may be able to shed some light on it, but, um, you know, I was able to ride from the village to the pool and it was a lot easier than it was walking all the time. And so, but, you know, you, you know you're there for that and, it's all about getting your head into the right space then and, and being prepared and not getting caught up with the, 
you know, we weren't allowed to go out of the village until after our swim. That was our thing with Laurie. Uh, we were stuck in the village and we just had to, we weren't, you know, no, no excessive walking, walk to the food hall, walk to the pool. That's all we were allowed to do, um, you know, and just conserve our energy for what we had to do. Because as I said before, it's once every four years, you know, I know there's athletes that I swam with that, you know, could have been the possibly more talented than what I was who, but once they made the team, they gave up. You know, they just sort of relax and they're like, oh, I'm on the Olympic team now. You know, yeah. and it was just, and and that we didn't understand that mindset. Our mindset was they were there to do a job to get the medals and come home. But, yeah, it, it is easier when you've got your coach there. It's easier when you've got your teammates there um, because you've got that familiarity. Do you, um, I was just thinking back uh, to, I haven't been to MSAC for a while, the, the main pool in, in Melbourne, but I remember, um, Probably it was a couple of years ago. I walked into the indoor pool after not being there for like five years. And I had this flashback of going there for like, you know, state championships was always there. And I had this flood of just like nerves come into my body um, of just, you know, as a teenager growing up and, you know, you go to the pool um, each day of states and you have the finals and, and those nerves that you'd have as a, as a kid. Do you have it, those sort of um, similar uh, flashbacks or feelings when you see this stuff or when you like go to certain pools that have memories for you? Yeah, absolutely. And even when I'm doing a keynote presentation and if they uh, play some of my footage, you know, like I get nervous, you know, like when I'm about to like watching my race, I'm like, I know the outcome, but I'm still nervous. Yeah. And even, even that last 50, you know, it, and that's excitement. You know, I think it's nerves, excitement. It's it's a little bit of, you know, if you watch the Pan Pack race, it's a bit of like, why couldn't I get 0.7 more, you know, or, um, you know, or the Olympic race when um, Anki Mooring and I were charging to the wall for the bronze, you know, it's that, you know, you, I get that stirred up grit and like, come on, come on. And I'm pushing myself, you know, and, um, but I love that, you know, and I, you know, the old Adelaide pool uh, where I made my first Australian team uh, before they renovated it, the, the scoreboard used to be on the side of the pool. So I remember, you know, turning at the 800 metre mark because the way I made my first Australian team was that I actually entered the meet as a backstroker and I came out as a distance freestyler. Uh, we we had entered the 1500 freestyle as a backup in case I didn't make it in the backstroke events. I made it in the 100 back, but not the 200. And so the 1500 was my last effort. So we'd spoken to the selectors and said, will you please consider me if I go faster than the girl who won the 800 free? And they had agreed. And so when I turned at the 800 metre mark, I pushed off the wall soon as I took a breath, I could see my time up on the scoreboard. So I knew I'd beaten my teammate, Jenny, who won the 800 free. And so I'm like, Laurie, we've made it. Like so I'm swimming, right? You're like, Laurie, <laughs> mum and dad, Laurie, mum and dad. And then like, he, let me, he let me muck around like that for a lap for a hundred. Then he went, get going, you know? <laughs> so it's it was interesting because I, I'm not sure who it was that said it, but they... Oh, who was it that won the 200 medley? Um, but she said in the breaststroke leg, she came, she could see her time. Yeah. She could see a split and then and she knew she was 50 freestyle to go, what she sort of had to do. So, you know, yeah, I remember those types of things. I love that. Yeah. Yeah. It's um I imagine that feeling would never uh, 
you, you'd never forget that. And did, what, what would you consider to be your best, your best swim? Um, I think, I think my best swim was pan packs because I, you know, I just felt so good. I felt so good in the warm up. You know, normally I'd do 2K warm up and I did 400 meters. And even after 100, I said to Laurie, I'm ready. And he goes, No, you need to do more. And I just, that once in a lifetime, it was a once in a lifetime for me. It was just everything aligned on that day. And I felt amazing. And I just, for the first time, went out hard from the start and left Janet for dead. Whereas with the Olympics, I dived in, I felt rubbish. And, you know, and I had to fight for it, you know. So I think if I had to race again, I would have liked to race like Pampax. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I think, you know, you can't go past the Olympics. Racing in Olympic Games is pretty special. Mm. And how, um, so you said it just felt it felt good from the start for the Pampax swim. And what about at the end? Did you feel like you're exhausted or you just felt like you felt pretty good and almost like you could, could keep going. Cause I've, I find that often with like the best, sometimes your best races are the ones that you just, it, it doesn't really hurt as much as uh, yeah. those ones where you have to grind it out. I know. Right. And because I never really created a lot of lactic acid, I didn't get fatigued. I always negative split my races. So for me, my downfall was sprinting. So I, I didn't go ever go out really fast you know, and for the Olympics in 88, I went out in 4.14 and came home in 4.7, you know, yeah. and I just, the longer I went, the better I got. So for me, yeah, I don't, I don't think I ever felt fatigued. Once I hit that wall, it was like, oh, I'm done, you know, like, mm. you know, your beauty or whatever, um, you know, and I think I always tell people that, that the moment you touch that wall, the pain goes away instantly, you know, and yeah. Um, but yeah, I was lucky. I was one of those athletes that never really created lactic acid. So it was never a drama. Yeah. Look, one, one benefit to being a distance from <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. And um, with the, with your second um, Olympics. So um, going into that, so the story, I'll let you tell the, the story there about um, why you didn't perform how you wanted to. Um, but how were you leading into that? Did you feel like you were training well and your times were great and um, that you're a real shot at um, oh, yes. the gold medal? So um, the trials, you know, I was 22, which was considered old for an athlete back then. I um, went in, won the 400, the 800. I felt great. I swam well. I, my times were, I think, equal number one in the world with Janet Evans at the time. And I knew I could go in there and win i knew i could win um i'd beaten her before i was one of the i was the only non-drugged athlete to beat her um ever in her career so i knew i could do it and i remember just being at the olympics and um just not feeling excited i i didn't get nervous before my race i just felt flat and then when i swam the 400 and did no good People were like, don't worry, you know, your, your 800, your gig, and, um, you know, you'll, you'll be right for the 800, you know, in a couple of days. And, and then when I dived in for the 800 free, um, I had nothing. And, and, you know, like those visions, <laughs> I could see Laurie and, oh, damn it. 
I can see Laurie in one side. He's just looking at me like I could just see him looking just bewildered. And I could see my parents in the grandstand just sitting there bewildered. And, and you know, while you're racing, you're doing your best, but when you've got nothing in the tank and, you know, your mind kind of takes over and you just and you have these thoughts and you're like, what's going on, you know. And um, so when I touched the wall, I knew I hadn't made the final and um, I swam so slow. And within uh, three days, I'd left the Olympic Village. I didn't want my um, disappointment to affect the others and allow them to celebrate. And um, and then when I got home, my doctor said, you need to come and see me. <laughs> Sorry. It's okay. And um, we did some tests and I had septicemia, which is blood poisoning, which I'd got from an infected wisdom tooth about three or four months before um, and we'd made the decision that we wouldn't remove the tooth because I'd have to have two weeks out of the water um, and that the the antibiotics that the dentist gave me would um, kill the infection but what they didn't say with the, was that the bacteria from the infected wisdom tooth would um, poison my system and uh, and that's what happened so you know it's just one of those things that Sometimes it, it brings up emotion and I think um, being Olympic week, you know, being the uh, trials and seeing some of the kids going through the same thing, I understand it and it's um, it's destroying, you know. It's it's took me a long time to get over that. Yeah, and no, I... Um watching some of the, the guys who have missed out and who were perhaps expecting to make a team or even like it was considered a... Yeah, they were going to be on the team. Um, it's uh, it, it's so hard to watch them go through that and think like, I was thinking, what do you say to them? Like, there's yeah. nothing you can say to make them feel better. Um, uh, what um, what did your what did your parents? What did Laurie um, say um, afterwards? Yeah, like there's a photo of Laurie and I, um, and I'm just sitting there like this, and he's holding my wrists. Um, and I think he just, you know, I, I don't remember what was said. Um, you know, I'm pretty sure that there's not a lot to say and I think Laurie probably did his best to try and sort of console me or um, work out what was wrong or, and, you know, for my parents, you know, they were just like, you did your best, did your best. Um, and on the day I did, it's all I could do, you know, and, 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 like looking at me, you wouldn't have known that I was that I was sick. Like I, you know, I looked great. I um, was ready, you know, mentally ready, physically ready. Um, but you just don't know what's going on in your body um, that you can't see, right? And uh, I've had a few incidences like that in my um, in my life where I've had, you know, in my twenties, I had three major health issues. So I had um, septicemia in Barcelona. I had um, chlorine poisoning when I made a comeback in 95 and then had stage two melanoma when I was 27. Huh. Wow. Um, and so um, uh, after the, the Olympics, how, was there something that um, looking back in the end, was it a, was there positives to take from it? Oh yeah. Like I think, 
go with your gut feel, you know, like with things like that, you know, with your health, you know, I sort of, you know, and I think hindsight's always a great thing, right? You always say, oh, I should have got the tooth out, but um, it's just listening to your body. And I was usually pretty good at that. You know, like if, if my, I would take my heart rate every morning and if my heart rate was above, you know, 62 beats a minute, um, I knew that I was getting some kind of infection or um, cold or something. And so that, you know, then I would, I'd monitor it all in my log books and, uh, you know, be like, Laurie, my heart rate was up this morning and, you know, just monitoring stuff like that. And, um, but yeah, it, it's, some of those things are just unknown, you know, and, and mm. you can, some things you can't prepare for, but it's, it is what it is. And it, then it's just doing the, doing the best you can with what happens on the day. Yeah, that's, that's it. And I mean, I know, um, like you've, um, using log books as you're doing that throughout your career. I remember using them as a teenager as well. Um, I don't, I don't know too many, um, athletes that are using them these days, whether they've got them on, using them on the phone or not, but, um, have you, have you still got those log books throughout your swimming career and do you, how often do you look back at those and, um, yeah, what do you, what do you take from, from reading back at, uh, some of those sessions and, maybe some of your thoughts like a dear diary type of um thing that you, you may have written at times oh yeah some of them in there like you know um some of the fun ones are like you know when you're 14 and the and the LA Olympics are on and you've got what um John Sieben, Justin Lemberg, Michael Delaney um you know the 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 original mean machine then and uh they became um advert, advert advertisers for a bread company and they put out these stickers and hear these boys in their um, swimmers and, you know, there's no, no, you know, no, none of the suits that they got today where it covers them all up. They go, we got DTs that are like covering nothing, <laughs> yeah. you know, like we're like, they are stuck all through my logbook. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, it's funny because I've, I've still got them and I've, I have shared them with uh, anyone that has wanted to look at them Um anyone that's a distance athlete that wanted to see what kind of work we were doing and um yeah it's fun looking back on them though and, and just seeing because you know I would write in there you know if we went on a training camp or things like that or you know like one of the we went to Perth and um you know it says I met Fat Cat today you know and it was when um Carl Wilson and I had gone on Fat Cat you know and yeah it's fun it's good probably only look at them you know, maybe only if I'm doing an interview like this or something, or they've asked me to look at it or, but yeah, good fun to look back on. Was there, is there a, let's say a week of training that you um, can remember being the hardest week of training in your life? Is there anything that stands out to you? Yeah, I think um, when we went to Hawaii in 91, I had had a, um, a few months off training. I just got back in the water to prepare for Barcelona and Laurie, myself and a few others were got called up for, um, oh, what was it? The America, Canada and Australia, the distance, uh, distance training camp or something like that. And in Hawaii. Right. So Laurie says we can go and we had been doing three and four K leading in to this, <laughs> to this training camp, you know, but who was going to miss out on a training camp in Hawaii and so we get there and our shortest session was 10K and the majority of sessions were 14K. And what 
what it was basically was an ego fest of all the coaches because each coach got to do a different session and so they wanted to outdo every other coach you know and Mr. Carew was on the te- on the team and he was the guy that gave us the 10K session because he felt bad for us. He was like, <laughs> this is ridiculous. I'm just going to give you 10K, you know. It was just, it was crazy. That was the hardest week ever, I think. Oh, um, how many how many Ks do you think you did in that week? Oh, well, we did, uh, I, well, I assume, I think, I should look back on the logbook. I think we did, we would have only trained, would have only been there for six days, I would say. We probably did at least, you know, 80K, 80 to 90K. Oh, maybe it must have been more, 90Ks for the week or, you know, it was pretty it was pretty full on, you know. But, I mean, even I think it was just because it was like everyone was trying to do the hard, you know, hard session each time. There was no recovery. Whereas yeah. with my training, we would often do 80 to 100Ks a week, Um anyway but it would be you know a combination of you know um heart rate sessions or distance or you know whatever mm. yeah, it's, yeah it's funny isn't get um well and, and i think probably from the, the coach's perspective too it's probably yeah, a bit of an ego to see who can who can write the hardest session so it's a bit of a pissing contest with yeah. that um but i think <laughs> and it would also be i think having something like the, the top distance swimmers in the world in a majority of them there um how much fun would that be as a coach on the deck, just watching these guys train like that, that would, I remember watching um, uh, Mac Horton and, um, and Greg Pelgineri train at, um, at MSAC, just watching those two guys go back and forth. You're just like, wow, this is awesome to watch. So having, um, having several of you there would have been a pretty um, awesome experience. So I can see why it became a bit of an, uh, an ego trip for, <laughs> for many of them to write the hardest session, but um, yeah. I wouldn't like to be on the receiving end of it. That's for sure. Yeah, I think we went out to um, an excursion one or two days. We went to the beach once and we went on um, the Polynesian fest, um, village another day and I think that was our only reprieve, you know. But um, it was not a lot of entertainment, I can tell you. It was a lot of sleeping <laughs> going on in between sessions. <laughs> Did you get to um, stay after the, the camp or was it um, or no. you didn't get to enjoy the, the sights or anything like that? It was just no, warm weather and that was ill. <laughs> come back yeah head back and then prepare for Barcelona it was sort of like it was it was definitely a shock to the system but it was like oh well since we've done that can't be too hard now <laughs> yeah yeah that's right yeah wow and uh and what about uh, towards the end of your, your swimming career what was that transition for you from um from swimmer to to working and um having to put that behind you in a way well I did I did it twice so I after Barcelona was um interesting and 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 this is a great uh reflection on mindset so come home from barcelona um destroyed i i'm pretty disillusioned uh, i went on a holiday with my partner at the time um came back and uh Stuart home one of the colleges here in brisbane was looking for a swim coach um so i went and did that for six months to sort of work out what i wanted to do and every time that i went to a um, a, um, a function or got invited to a lunch or something, I would collect business cards, right? And I would get these business cards and I would write on them where I met this person and and then I would file them into a folder. And when I came back, when I was ready to, after coaching with the, all the girls, I thought, well, I've got to get a real job. 
So I started, got out my folder and I started calling these people and saying, hi, you know, it's Julie McDonald. We met at whatever conference, blah, 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 or, or event, la, la, la. I'm looking for a job, you know, wondering if you've got any jobs going, you know, and they would go, have you got a degree? Have you got this kind of training? You know, and no, sorry, don't, I can't help you. I got to M. <laughs> and Run out of letters. <laughs> Yeah, it's a lot of letters. And I only saw it the other day. Um, anyway, and uh, there's lots of cards in there. And I got to M and they finally, and they said, well, if you can start tomorrow, we've got a training course starting. So I was like, okay. So it was it was pretty soul destroying, you know, because you just I just didn't know what else I was going to do. And then when I made a comeback in 95 and, what tried out for Atlanta I got third at the trials um obviously hadn't given myself enough time to train but originally I only got back in the water to train for masters because that was in Hawaii <laughs> <laughs> I was trying to get that holiday in Hawaii yeah I reckon <laughs> um two months in I went stuff masters I'm going to the Olympics so I went and changed coaches went to Mr Carew and said will you train me and uh he said, you've got 10 months. And I and I said, will you train me? And, he, and so anyway, he said, yes. So when I finished trials, even though I got third, I felt really satisfied. And I and I thought, you know what? I can do anything if I really commit my mind to it. Um, you know, and I felt really good about it. And so then when I got back to Brisbane, I got job offers. You know, I, I had people saying, hey, I hear you've retired. You know, can you come and do work for us and then you know I started in my first job and then you know a couple of months oh, pretty much you know like a year in then I'd be somewhere and someone go what are you doing I'd tell them what I was doing they're going have you ever thought about doing this i no you know why don't we have a chat so then I just kept being poached and I kept and I went from one job to the other being headhunted and it was such a different experience you know and I just sort of look back on that and I go it was totally mindset the energy that I was putting out there I came back from Barcelona shattered um you know feeling that I had let so many people down that I was um a disappointment um whereas then I came back from Atlanta Atlanta trials feeling like hey you know this is possible and anything's possible. So that was a massive difference for me. And, you know, in that time after Barcelona, I, you know, really, I, I stayed away from the Olympics. I didn't, um, you know, I, I didn't want to talk about it. I didn't, um, I just did my job that I was in and I put on a lot of weight. Um, I was pretty, um, yeah, well, probably just wasn't living my best life. Uh, and then it was interesting after 96 that how different that was. Yeah. I think it, it, for me, um, I've, uh, I think had a similar experience in terms of like the, the mindset that you've got, like at times, let's say like last year at times when it, you know, when things shut down, it was tough. It like, it felt like we, are we ever going to get out of this? And it felt like there's, there's no, like, I don't know where the business is going to go. And, uh, and I just sort of shut down any possibilities of, of growing or changing what we were doing. And then um, when things started to open up and, um, you know, in, in this positive frame of mind where, you know, anything's possible, opportunities start to come. And then, and then you sort of take those actions and you have some success and it just really starts to grow. And I th- it is so much to do with 
mindset. And so is there anything that um, like over the last, you know, since, since 95, have you come across times where you've, you've noticed you may have been in a bit more of a negative, negative uh, headspace and you've been able to turn it around and, uh, and draw on that experience? Yeah. So many times, right. So um, unfortunately uh, I got myself involved in a couple of unhealthy relationships and, um, and I, and from that, I think it was uh, pretty much an overall feeling of a low self-worth and self-esteem and people that know me might've, might think that that's really odd and, and they don't understand that, but you know, that that experience with Barcelona still would affect me from time to time. And um, particularly every time an Olympic came up or Commonwealth Games come up, it would become, you know, it would always remind me of that. And and any time that I wasn't doing well in my job, then, you know, those, those thoughts of, oh, I'm not good enough or I can't do it, you know, or things like that. And, and you know, so so positive mindset is, is a daily activity that you have to, control and and you have to really practice and so then after I left my second unhealthy relationship was when I really started pouring myself into personal development and you know understanding the person I was and and why I had attracted that to me um and you know people you know, I'm a big believer that everything that happens in our life is a result of the way that we've been um, feeling and expressing ourselves. And um, and then if people were really honest with themselves, they would they would think about that and go, you know what? Yes, because my mindset's been that you know I've I've felt lousy, or I've not been honouring myself, I've not been valuing myself. So then I've had a car accident, or I've had um, you know. Um, you know, run into something that, or somebody that, you know, has been unhealthy. Um, so, you know, it's about taking control of our thoughts and, and really changing the way that we think and valuing ourselves and honoring ourselves and then being able to attract all the really good things. Like you said, you know, you know, looking for opportunities and, and, you know, being open to what is going to come in, you know, who, who can I help today? You know, for me every day, who can I help today? Who can I serve today? And whose life can I change? And, but also that I am enough and that I am valued and I'm, I've got a lot, you know, good things that I can um, give to the world. So it's important to, you know, it's interesting when we're at kids and particularly girls, you know, um, any girl that had great self-esteem and great self-worth um, and was confident would normally be portrayed as a bitch and um, and then she would be picked on or um, or then she would be um, victimised in some way, you know, and whereas what we should have done was be going, how can I be like her? You know, how can I improve myself and, and, and have that confidence and self-esteem and self-worth like her? Um, and so now, sorry, my dog's having a coughing fit. Um, so now it's just about teaching people that so that then they can have the best life that they want. Because I I know that that works, you know, and I look back on my swimming career and I go, so what were my thoughts leading into Barcelona? Was it pressure? Was it, you know, um, you know, was it something that was in my subconscious that caused, you know, me to have an infected wisdom tooth and, you know, things like that? It's just... Um, I'm always looking at, you know, like, okay, how can I always do something better? So 
Mm. You know, it is massive. Mindset is is huge, but it's something that it's like a muscle that needs to be exercised every day. Because it's I've noticed that last year when we really focused on um, a particular um, mindset and everything, our business grew. Whereas this year I'd noticed that, you know, I've kind of just been riding that wave and I've not really been um, focusing, having that intention. And it's, you know, it's it's still growing a little bit, but it's not growing like it did last year. So, um, you know, it's time to tap back into that. And with the, um, the speaking that you're doing, is that, um, do you, when did you start doing that? Um, was it long after 95? Was it while you're working full time or um, how'd that come about? And, um, and when did you start it? Well, from when I was from when I made my first Commonwealth Games team, I would be asked to go to schools and do school presentations or um, award mm-hmm. ceremonies. Um, you know, stand up on stage and say something, um, and you know, invited to events and things like that. Not necessarily always speaking, but maybe being interviewed a lot. And so then it was a steady flow, and then getting I think in ninety ninety nine. Uh, yeah, 99, I, I started my own speaking business, you know, really started doing it professionally, rode that wave. Oh, yeah, it would have been 98, 99 before Sydney really rode that wave of, you know, that was incredible 18 months um, travelling Australia speaking. And um, and then I had my son a couple of years later. So then I went back to coaching um, and put speaking on hold for a bit until he was about four or five and then started again. So, um you know, I, I love doing my inspirational speaking, but I kind of am now moving more towards being a personal development coach and helping people with that mindset and how can they become self-motivators. And so they're not relying on, you know, there's no, there's not really a lot of uh, events that they can go to and, and listen to an inspirational speaker. So how are they, you know, motivating themselves? How are they able to get through, you know, situations like, Victoria's gone through in the last 12 months, um, you know, and it's just training them to have that mindset and that capability to um, be responsible for themselves and be resilient. I, th- um, I, I think it's uh, uh, like I look back at when I was like late teens, it was, I was, um, you know, sort of started reading um, you know, personal development books and um, continued continue that all the way through. And then I found some like journals uh, from a couple of years ago and, um, you know, I'd often write down things and like what I'd like to achieve. And often they took two or three times longer than, uh, than expected. Um, but I think back to the, the thoughts that I had as a late teen, early 20 year old and, um, and the things I wanted to, to do when I grew up and that sort of thing. And um pretty much all have sort of come, come true. And I think it's that consistent, um, consistent thinking about your goals and developing as a, as a person, developing your skills and um, yeah. And it, it, it all starts to, to come together and it, I don't think it doesn't show straight away. It really takes time, but, um, but it does, does happen with that consistent sort of um, work and, you know, nothing's ever perfect and, and you're not, uh, you're not going to do things right all the time, but it's that, that awareness of, um, you know, when, when that doesn't happen and making the change. And I think for me, uh, taking full result, uh, full responsibility for the things that happen, whether or not you've got any control over it you know, really or not, I think, you know, what's, what's your other option just to be a victim? It's, you know, I, I think taking that responsibility, um, that's been a big one for me. Yeah, absolutely. And it, it's, you know, um, a lot of people 
Uh, I mean, I think with sport, it's a little bit different with your goals because you do have a timeline. You've got a, a deadline of when you've got to perform, but, you know, you can work back from that. But with people I, that follow the SMART goals, right, you've, have you've heard of SMART goals before? Yep. So I smash that out of the water. I go, don't follow that process. If you're an athlete, you know, obviously it's, you've got a, you've got a deadline. You've got to compete on the, you know, the 16th of June, 2021, you've got to be ready. But with everybody else, with their goals, um, you know, I say, you know, write them down, work on them, but don't put a timeline on them. Because as you just said, sometimes they take longer, right? So if you say that well, you've got a goal of you want to um, achieve a certain amount of income by the 31st of December 2021, right? And you're, you're doing the process, you're doing the activity that needs to develop that business. And then it comes to the 1st of December and you're a fair, you might be a fair way off that, right? And so then what happens? The doubt starts coming in and you go, and then you say to yourself, I don't think I'm going to make it because I've only got 31 days to go and I'm nowhere near it. Now you could have won lotto the next day and achieved that goal, but you energetically have put it out there. I'm not going to achieve it. Right. So that's where smart goals fall down because they're the timeline. You, you start that doubt. The moment you have an ounce of doubt, you've blown it, you know? And so that's what I teach people is that don't worry about the how, don't worry about, the when, just focus on what you really want. Because so many times I've heard stories of, I've done vision board workshops with people and then they've, they've pulled out the vision boards, you know, two or three years later and they look at it and they're going, you've got to be kidding me. I've This is what's happened, you know. So it's just about embedding that into your mind and, and believing that it's going to happen. With sport, it is a little bit different, but, you know, um, the majority of people I'm working with aren't sports people. Yeah. Yeah. It's um, it, what I found uh, in the past when I was setting goals that were very much to a, to a deadline, it'd be time and time again, it'd be like, oh, it hasn't happened yet. And then I'd set another date. hasn't happened yet. And it's like, oh man. So I just got fed up with it. And, um, and, and one thing that I looked back at recently, I think I set this, it's probably about six years ago, but there was a list of about 10 things that I um, wrote down. I printed it off and I put it in this little folder and I just kept it in my desk desk drawer um and in some of those things it's like okay i want to earn um the x amount i want to be able to surf when the surf is good i want to be able to to swim um you know with a with a squad when i when i choose to and i want to be able to like basically do what i like with my time and um spend it how i'd like to and and the majority of these things i've i've ticked off but it's taken six years since setting them and that wasn't the first thought i had of, of these goals it really took some time, but when you look back at it, you go, oh my God, this stuff has happened. And um, it is such a, like, it's, it's just such a, a good feeling. So you look at that, all right, five, 10 years time, what, what can happen in that time frame? That's right. Yeah, exactly. And, and don't limit yourself. You know, um, I think a lot of people set goals that they think that they're um, going to achieve and, you know, and smart goals, they say, you know, relevant, achievable goals. Mm, no, because you're, you, you, if it, the goal doesn't scare you, if it doesn't get you excited, then it's not worth, it's not a goal worth having, you know, Olympic gold, you know, that gets people excited, that gets people motivated. Um, you know, if, if you went in there and go, you know, your goal was uh, to make, you know, for me with, with 
my considering my background and and what you know the culture we were in if I had have went to Lauren go I want to make the Olympic team he would have probably smacked me in the head you know and it's like uh no that's not good enough you know and so it's it's you've got to set out there goals goals that you think that may never happen and don't worry about how it's going to happen but really focus on what that is what what you want one of the ones that just came to mind was uh it's probably five or six years ago when we were starting to run our swimming clinics and we we just started and um, we were running maybe one every two months or yeah, you know, like a day's worth every two months. And um, then I was like sort of mapping it out. And, and I think the number that I wrote was like, I'd love to have 700 people a year do our, do our clinics. And I looked at that and thought, Oh, that is like, that's impossible. There's no way, like, I, I can't say that's going to happen, but anyway, I wrote it down and that sort of worked with the numbers. And then, um, for the last couple of years, we've had like double that every year, um, go through, go through clinics. And it's like, geez, I just, and, and now it just feels it's normal and you get accustomed to it. And, um, you know, you just sort of learn how to, how to deliver that and, um, and, and do a good job of it. So it's, yeah, this stuff that, um, at the time might feel unachievable. You might look back and go, Oh, you're, you're well beyond it. And, um, and you sure. can't see not doing that, um, now. So, um, yeah, I, I think back to, when I, yeah, when I was sort of early twenties, it's like, yeah, this, the stuff that, um, you think is, um, is, is scary and, and challenging. Um, you'll probably be doing that in five or 10 years and, and well beyond it. So, um, just be used to, 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 um, yeah, something that might be very different, um, down the track from where you are. Yeah, that's it. No, exactly right. I mean, you look at careers now, you know, the careers that are happening mm. now weren't around 15, 20 years ago. Um, you know, my son's doing game programming. He's had that dream since he was eight years old. There were no courses around when he was eight years old, you know, no university courses. Um, but now he's at uni with a uni that's designed especially for that. So, you know, don't ever limit yourself because it's not there yet. Well, thinking of when you got um, initially, when you were asking, have you got a degree? You know, have you got this sort of training? These days it feels very different um yeah certainly degrees can help with some roles but i think as a as a as a business owner no one they just want the job done the job done well and um what degree you've got is irrelevant if it's not in say stem field or something like that so it's uh, it is a very um different world and i think you know for me as, as someone who employs people it's like i don't care about that stuff if you can do the job and do it well or you can learn to do it then that's all i all i care about it's um yeah, it, it's very different than what it was 20 odd years ago. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And uh, for people who are listening to this, what's the best way to get in contact with you? Um, where can they find you on social media, on your website? Where? What are those details? Yeah, so I've got uh, Facebook is Julie McDonald OAM because there's 5 billion Julie McDonald's, so it's easy to find me, but Julie McDonald OAM. Uh, same with my Instagram and my website is the same, juliemcdonaldoam.com. Fantastic. And we'll put that on the website as well. So, Julie, I really appreciate uh, the you. I mean, it's been quite a, um, a long call. So we've gone probably a little bit over time, but that was great. Um, I appreciate you sharing those um, those stories and uh, and being willing to uh, to sort of go back and travel back to um, what it was like um, for some of those back events. So, yeah, <laughs> that's right. Well, um, I really appreciate it. So, Julie, um, yeah, it's been fantastic. Thank you. Oh, you're welcome. Thanks so much for having me. It's been great fun. Thanks for listening to the Effortless Swimming Podcast. If you'd like us to help you become a faster, more efficient swimmer, go to www.effortlessswimming.com.